0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends, we beat the evil one. We got the mic back. In all my years of doing pastoring, like the frequency thing on this thing never changes. And somehow, like today, I turn it on and it changes. I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. Other than, I'm going to ask you to stand, we're going to read the word, and if you can, move your way to the center. And any of you in the back that don't have seats, there are a whole bunch of them up here now that we've got kids downstairs. So if you want a better seat in uh, full view of the pastor's spit zone, they are open up here. All right, John chapter 20. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we gather and we turn our attention to this story, uh, your word, I pray that, uh, as always, you would do what you say you would, which is that this word, your words, would not return void, but that they would do something in us. They They would activate something in us. They would challenge us and motivate us, encourage us, invite us to be the people that you've always made and dreamt and created us to be in Christ. I pray this in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Easter Sunday morning at Awaken, friends, also known as Resurrection Sunday. Uh, We have made our way. We've been on quite a journey, and it began in Advent. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, Advent, that's where it begins, in darkness, in the darkest and coldest moments of the year, where we waited for and hoped for, longed for, anticipated a light that might come into the world. And that light, of course, is the incarnation, the indwelling God becoming human in Jesus, which opens the season of Epiphany, where we celebrate and think about what does it mean that God is dwelling among us, that the the divine has made its home among us. And so as we make our way towards Epiphany, at one point in the Gospels, Jesus turns his attention and directs it towards Jerusalem, towards this event, where we enter the season of Lent through Ash Wednesday. And during Lent, we've talked about and thought about what does it mean that we have limits and that we're mortal and that one day we may return to Ash as we came from. From dust to dust, you will return. What does that mean and how do we, how do we handle that? Uh, and last, this last weekend, on Friday, we celebrated Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus. Yesterday, a holiday no Protestants like to celebrate, Holy Saturday, where God is dead. That's a tough one to swallow, right? (laughs) Okay. Wake up! Wake up, Hour 2! Seriously, though, uh, a day most Protestants don't really think about or celebrate, and and I think we ought to. Um, But that makes our way to today, Resurrection Sunday. I mean, for people that do my kind of work, like, this is the Super Bowl of church, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the biggest day of the year. It's like the Oscars for film. It's the Grammys for music. Like, this is it. Like, this is the biggest day of the year. Like, don't screw it up, Micah. I got a text from one of my pastor friends yesterday. He literally said, Micah and Steve, my other buddy, tomorrow is Resurrection Sunday. It's the biggest day of the year. Don't screw it up. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I feel so much pressure. I'm joking, but I'm not. Um, I have one question for you this morning. One question. And that question is, why are you here? Like, why did you come to this day? And why are you here in this place on this day? And maybe there's not a straightforward answer to that question. I did a little R&D with my kids a couple years ago about Easter and Holy Week. I said to my my youngsters, I don't remember, they were like seven and nine at that point or less than that, the two younger ones. I said, okay, so it's Holy Week. Uh, What are we celebrating? And they said, I don't know bunnies and eggs, at which point, like, pastor of the year is out the window, you know what I mean? (laughs) Dad of the year is probably out the window, but I'm committed at this line of questioning now. I can't go back because we are, we're deep. So I throw them a bone, all right, okay, let's give you some clues. We're celebrating something in the Bible, and one of them says, uh, okay, it's when God died. No, when God was born. No, that's Christmas, and then Lyndon looks at me and goes, dad, we need more clues. (laughs) I said, okay, all right. Uh, it's about Jesus, and then with delight, one of them's like, Hanukkah. <laughs> so that actually happened in my house, so maybe, uh, maybe you, there's not a straightforward answer to why you're here, but friends, like, why do people gather on this day? For th- thousands of years, people have gathered on this day to celebrate this guy, this Jesus. Like, Why do churches line up, uh, other churches, line their stages with Easter lilies I once had somebody from Awaken who said, why don't we do Easter lilies? And I'm like, I have no idea. Do you want to? Yes. Well, bring some Easter lilies. So one year we had like three lone Easter lilies <laughs> dotting the stage. Why do people go to Jerusalem and walk the Via Dolorosa? When I was a kid, we did Good Friday uh, at our church, and this one lady, she would sing, down the Via Dolorosa. To... Do you guys have you know that song? Yeah, okay. Why, like, why do we do that? Why do people come and do this thing for... Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, like every generation since it's happened, people have been coming and on this day for some specific reason. I think it's because, I think it's because of stories. I think not only do we love a good story as a human, like why do we gravitate towards the great books and the great films and the great, because we love stories, but it's more than that. I think stories actually shape our lives. More than your circumstances, more than the government, more than politicians, more than your finances, more than all the things that are weighing in, stories, and the stories that we believe are true, shape, impact, influence, dictate, determine, animate our lives. One scholar says, the destiny of the world is determined less by the battles that are lost and won than by the stories it loves and believes in. So why are you here? Maybe you're here because all of your efforts and attempts to, like, figure this thing out have come up empty and the same place every time, and you just need... You have more questions. Great. Welcome. Maybe you're here because... Uh, somebody's made a claim and you're investigating that claim and trying to see if it's true or, or at least investigate it a little bit, take it down the road a little. Maybe you have this sense like deep down in your bones that there's something more than what we see. Like there's an energy, there's a hum that's like happening beneath us, there's an animating force behind everything and you want to know what that is. Maybe you just need a little bit of hope. Maybe you come discouraged this morning and you need something, someone, some story that's beyond you that says you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Maybe there's hope that your marriage might make it or that that child that's wandered off might come home and find the light that will lead them home. Maybe you need something beyond yourself this morning. I don't know why you're here. But I do know that for thousands of years, people have been coming and gathering on this day around this story about this person, like a particular person in history, Jesus, whom has more has been written about than other, any other human in the history of the world, that this story, something is being said. It's the climax of a story that is offering an explanation to everything. Now, I know that's a big claim, right? Like, I don't usually make large claims, like, you can take that one to the bank. But I'll say it again, that this story and the reason why people come on this day is because there is an offering being given that is an attempt to explain everything. The divine, you and me, us, the world that we live in, the whole deal. Easter's not about religion. It's not about uh, bunnies and rabbits. By the way, the Easter bunny bringing eggs, like mammals, eh, right? Somebody didn't think that one through. It's not about robin eggs filled with malted milk, though they are tasty. Can I get an amen on that? You got to get the right kind, too. The chalky ones, the paste, the pastel. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, brother. I see that hand. How many here from Shelby County? It's It's a story. It's a story about the nature of everything, the cosmos, the very fabric of the universe, about God, you, me, everything. So why ever you're here today, I'm trusting that the presence of the divine, the one that is behind all things that live and move and have being, the one that I would argue is behind the resurrection of this person, Jesus, is present and available and offering itself to you this morning in whatever way you might need it. So here's what I want to do this morning. In the brief time we have left, I want to look at one phrase from John's gospel. There are four gospels that tell this account of Jesus' resurrection, and John, the one we read from, has a phrase in it that I want to focus on. And it's seemingly like uh, uh, benign, right? Like It's easy to overlook and sort of pass over, like a throwaway phrase. But I would submit to you that it's actually the key. It's the key to the story that John is telling, but it's the key that opens up the larger story that John's participating in, which is the story about the explanation of all things. So, no big deal, right? Let's do this. Are you ready? I think that this phrase, this key, Mary, I mean... There's so much you could do with John 20. The whole Peter and John thing about the beloved disciple, like how arrogant that somebody would say that, you know, and he outran Peter like so conveniently and arrives at the tomb before he does and he saw and believed, but Peter's sort of left wondering. I got a few thoughts for John when I get on the other side, you know. But when Mary gets there, she goes into the tomb, and she sees the angel at the head and the foot and the strips of linen lying in the middle, and they ask her a few questions, and then they recognize that somebody's standing behind her, and Mary recognizes that they recognize that somebody's standing behind her, and she turns, and here's a man, and he asks her a question. Woman, why are you crying? What have you come here for? And she says, well, John says that she says, thinking he was a gardener. Now, you might be thinking, Micah, that is, what's the point? Like, I, that's not that important. Oh, stick with me, friends. We are just getting started. Thinking he was a gardener. Why is this the key to the whole story, to John's story and the whole story about, the, about everything? Well, if you didn't know, the story of the Bible begins where? But in a garden. And Adam and Eve, you and me, well, we were gardeners. Adam and Eve, the first humans in the story, were, the Bible says that they were comforted by God, into the garden. The word is Noah. Noah means comfort. God comforts the first humans into the garden to do what? Tend and till, the King James says. To be caretakers, stewards, with a job. What job? To care for, to steward, to enable the divine desire in the world, which is carrots and rutabaga and beets. No, that's not true. I mean, all of those things are well, except for beets. Who even likes beets? Uh, they, taste like the, they taste like dirt. Thank you. Yeah. No, not rutabagas and carrots and beets. Joy, justice, wholeness, flourishing, delight, peace, the Hebrews call it, shalom. Why are we here, Adam and Eve, you and I, daughters of Adam, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, to participate in this invitation that God has given to be gardeners of goodness. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, Micah, I am not a gardener. I kill everything I plant. And that is a mean trick on April Fool's. It snowed yesterday, man. Why are we talking about gardening? Well, you've missed, this is, that would be a grand adventure in missing the point. Because Adam and Eve, and I would argue the human, you and I, the whole point of this deal, why God comforted us, and not out of anger or chaos, God, out of benevolence and abundance and divine love creates and gives us a job to do, which is to garden, to cultivate, to tend, to till. What does a gardener do if they don't tend, till, and create space for things to grow? And our first task was to create space, enable the hopes and the dreams of God to be flourishing and whole in all of God's good world. So, remember when we were gardeners, given a task and a job to do, in communion, in relationship, union, the mystics call it, with the divine. That was the original attempt. That was the, the whole point of this gig. But it's just never enough, right? You know what I'm saying? You guys, you know, like, uh, you know you, if you study humans long enough, this is confirmed by presidents and empires and Caesars and politicians and nine-year-olds. It's never enough, we were just given this great gift to go to a cabin this last week. Somebody in the church was like, hey, we got a cabin, you should go. So we said, we will, we'll take you up on that offer, thank you very much. So we drive up to this cabin, and it's just like, it's fantastic. I'm in charge of food, Laura was on the silent retreat, bad already, you know what I'm saying? So she gets home, and I'm like, babe, let's go over the food. And she's like, let's just get in the car and go. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea, but I didn't want to challenge it, right? So we get in the car, we get up there, we have four eggs. For like all breakfast during, while we're there. This is terrible. How are you going to have breakfast at the cabin without, with four eggs, you know? So the first morning, we're like, well, I guess we're going out to breakfast. So we make our way to Danbury, Wisconsin. Cute little town on, just on the other side of the river. We go to this little country store. I mean, it, you can't get any better, right? Country store, fresh fallen snow. River, the dog is with us. I mean, it's great. We feast on French toast and hash browns and bacon and just terrible coffee. You know what I'm saying? Worst decision I made all weekend. And then they got that game, the triangle game with the T's, that that Cracker Barrel. You know that one that just drives you absolutely batty? It says, like, if you can't get less than four, you're an idiot, that one. I'm just like, I hate this game. And my daughter's just, like, killing it, like, two every time. I once got one T left, and then I went and bought a lottery ticket, because I was like, something is happening in the universe today. I hate that game, but everything else is going wonderfully. Like, everyone is well-fed. I mean, stomachs are full. You would think everyone is fine. We finish our meal. We pay the check. We go to the little general store to get our eggs, and what happens? People start asking me for stuff. Dad, can we get that slingshot? Can I get that yo-yo? Can I have that bouncy ball? Can I have some candy? I'm hungry. I'm like, for goodness sakes, people, you'd swear we didn't feed you a drop of food or water your whole lives. It's not enough. It's never enough. Sorry, that was a little cathartic for me. If you've been around kids, like, any length of time, you know what I'm saying, right? Or on Christmas morning, you give gifts to people, and then they're like, what's next? Like, it's never enough. Or the guy that gets the promotion or the gal that gets the promotion at your work and then, like, smells blood in the water and just starts going cutthroat crazy on everybody. Like, it's never enough. Gang, we had everything we ever needed in fellowship with God. We were naked and together in a garden, what more could a person want, right? I mean, you got all the food you need and all the time to do whatever you want, okay? Use your imagination, kids. <laughs> like, what more could, and yet it rises up in the human spirit that we listen to this question Did God really say? Is God really good? Is God holding out on you? Is there more behind the curtain that God actually has that you're not getting? And we wander down this rabbit trail of doubt and skepticism and questioning the character and the wonder and the authenticity of God. Is God benevolent and abundant or is there something else happening here? And as a result of entertaining that question, then and now, we walked away and we walk away from the very place that God has comforted us into. We ate from a tree in this garden we were never intended to eat from. We, we reached across a boundary that was beyond ours to have. And friends, we're still doing it every single day. It happened this morning, probably in your house. Where we judge the inherent worth and value of another person, we do it. When we exploit the poor among us, and the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, we're doing it. When we think that only the strong survive and they deserve it, we're doing it. When we become judge and jury and determine who's in and out and who's good and bad, we're doing it. And gang, this is what the Bible and Christians historically have called sin. And I know that's a tough word for some people in this room. Stephen, our tech guys, like, What's, who's this next quote? That's Reverend Dr. Michael Witham. You can put that up there. Here's how I would phrase this. This is how I would describe it. Any of the ways that we break relationship with God, each other, and our world to serve ourselves first at the cost to others. I'm not actually a doctor, just a reverend. Friends, when we live from this place, when we make this place our dwelling, which, has, which is so far from home, the only thing that comes from that is brokenness and death and destruction all around in minor ways and in major ways, in my life and in our world. And try as we might thousands of different ways to fix, to navigate our way home, to, do, to remedy the situation, it's clear if you watch the news that it has not happened. And I don't have to like yell at you or make you feel guilty that this is true, You just have to, like, go to your family gathering this afternoon and testify that it's true. Awkward in the room, right? I just saw a couple of spouses look at each other. (laughs) Yeah, your family's awful! We were sons and daughters of the divine in a home that provided everything we could ever need, and we walked away because we believe and believed a lie that it wasn't enough. This story is true in the smallest and the most personal space of my heart and in the largest chasms of our entire world. And the question that lingers in the air is how do we fix it? Or can we fix it? What do we do? And this is why the Bible is not outdated and has something to say. It's not 2,000 years old and boring. It actually is talking about us right here and right now. And this is why John's throwaway line is just brilliant. So good. Thinking he was a gardener. Come on, come on, come on. Mary thinks Jesus was literally a garden in the garden or the tomb which was in the garden that Jesus was buried in. And of course he's not a gardener. He's the Messiah, Mary. He's the Lord. He's the King of the universe. And yet, He is the gardener. You see what he's doing? It's called a double meaning. Yeah, yeah, you see what he did there? He's not a gardener, but he is the gardener. He's Neo in the Matrix. He's Frodo in the Lord of the Rings. He's T'Challa in the Black Panther. He's the one. Jesus is the gardener, and he's inviting you and I back to something. A couple of chapters ago, in chapter 19, we heard Pilate declare, here is the man, Jesus. The second Adam, the new creation, the new human, doing what? Tilling and tending, caring for, flourishing wholeness and delight. What is Jesus challenging? He's challenging the invasive species that have taken root in the garden of God called our good world. He's he's uprooting thistles and thorns of racism and hatred and replacing them with blooms and blossoms of hope and of justice, the prophet says, and the deserts will rejoice and bloom. I mean, come on, people. This is the center of the Christian story and the hope of Easter, that Jesus does something that we cannot do for ourselves and then invites us to believe that it's for us in him. And this is the love of God on display. Then that Jesus, though deserving as we are, not really most days, offers an invitation to you and to me back to what we were invented for, back to what we were made for, to be gardeners with God in the world that God made. Easter is the affirmation of God's good world. It's not pie in the sky someday after we die. That is actually heresy and it's not gospel. Amen, Brother Micah! resurrection and Easter is an invitation to right here and right now. And here's the mystery. Get your pencils and papers out, students. The mystery is that the invitation is not to power. It's not to popularity. It's not up and to the right. The invitation is to death. Praise Jesus. This is how you grow a church, friends. Just ask people to die. The mystery, the irony of it all is that Jesus says, listen, if you want life as it was intended, which is for each other, not for you solely at the cost of others, that's the opposite of what this is all about, then the only way back to the place you were intended to be, which is to be gardeners with me in God's good world, is by way of death. Death to all of the ways that you see each other inaccurately. Death to all of the ways that you see yourself in ways that are false and untrue and not from God. Death to all of the ways you try and scrape for and desire power and control in your life because that is actually a fallacy. It's never going to happen. Death to that. Death to selfishness. Death to me before you. The invitation of Jesus as he stands resurrected is, come and follow me. Not to the top. You see, because resurrection requires death. In order for someone or something to be resurrected, it requires something to die. And friends, this is not just a spiritual truth. It happens all over the universe. It happens at a molecular level and on a food level and on a star level that things die and other things are born. All the iron that's in your blood... Scientists would argue that it came from a star somewhere in space that exploded and is now in you. I mean, what? I'm not going to preach that sermon today because that's way above my pay grade. But like, it's everywhere. Resurrection. Things die and new things are born. And do you remember the the, the seventh? Jesus' last sign in the gospel of John is chapter 11 where Lazarus is... Risen from the dead. And we talk about Lazarus was resurrected, but I would actually submit to you that Lazarus was resuscitated. He didn't get resurrection life. What happens to Jesus and as he stands there is qualitatively different it's new life, it's a new beginning, it's new creation. Lazarus was resuscitated to his previous life and then he died. The invitation of Easter is not to be resuscitated, to not resuscitate all the sweet moments and the things that we've already got. And this whole bizarre uh, conversation between Mary and Jesus, where she recognizes it's Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, and tries to hug him, and he says in the King James, woman, touch me not. It's like, dude, why you gotta be so cruel after you've been dead for a couple days? Like, throw us a bone. And he says, don't hold on to me. Why? Why? In this moment, what is Mary doing? What we all do. Adele wrote a song called When We Were Young on her album 25. The chorus goes something like, let me photograph you in this light in case it's the last time that we might be exactly as we were. What does Mary want? She wants the memories. She wants Jesus as she knew him. She wants Jesus around the campfire. She wants Jesus her friend. She wants Jesus with all the And we want to pause and stop all the great moments of our lives. And you ever wish you could just go back? This is Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, friends. (laughs) And this is what we want. This is what we long for. I mean, I can't tell you how many times Laura and I have talked about, do you remember when we were young and in love, and like our love was like, could we ever go back? No! (laughs) You can't go back! Because that is towards death. And Jesus stands and says, listen, Life is this way, and it's out in front of you, and it's an invitation to resurrection, which you can't secure on your own. And you actually, you can't, you can't manufacture it. You, you have to trust that, like, this is the way. And so here we stand at this precipice of decision. Will we keep doing what we've been doing? Will we, go, will we want to resuscitate the things that are good about our lives and just try to keep working those out? Or do we come to this moment and say, actually, this isn't working for any number of reasons in all kinds of different ways? And this way, this story, the explanation of all things, is a story about you and me who were gardeners once, who had a purpose and an abiding communion and fellowship and friendship with the divine and a job to do in the world. Who every day walk away from the thing that God made us to do. And Christ who comes and stands in our place and says, I can do and have done what you cannot do. Which is to look death in the face, the one thing that a group of things who were meant to live fear the most, stare it down and walk through it to new life and resurrection. And then says, anything and everything that desires new life and resurrection, it's this way follow me and so here you sit. I asked you a question when we started and that question was why are you here? And I'll end with that. I don't know why you came this morning. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what circumstances have brought you here or what you're going home to. If you're a person that's committed yourself to following the way of Jesus, I would ask you what are you tending what is the divine inviting you with your hands and your skills and your resources and your life to cultivate and tend and create space for hope, justice, mercy, grace, love, flourishing for your kids, for the kids in your, in your classrooms, for the people you work with or work for, the services you provide? What is God inviting you to tend to? That's the invitation. We're all gardeners. And if you have never trusted Christ, this person, who I would just submit to you, it happened. I believe that. Died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead three days later, and offers an explanation to the whole thing. Do you believe that by faith? Resurrection leads to new life, but it has to go through death first. And so what is dying in you, being invited to die in you so that something new can be reborn. That's Easter, friends. No big deal, right? I'm going to offer a word of prayer. We want to try to create some space as we close today for us to think about that and to respond to that in whatever way it's coming to you today. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we gather, we do so, I do so, with the great hope, the great trust and belief Ultimately, it's a leap of faith. I recognize that this story is not a fairy tale in that it's untrue, but that it, is, it resonates and rings to the deepest core of our beings and offers an explanation of all things, of what we're here to do and why it's not working out and what the way forward is. And so God, in the next few moments of silence, I pray that by your Spirit, that you would just hover over this place like you hovered over the waters of creation, that new things would be born in us, that they would be drawn out of darkness, called into the light and named as good. So God, whatever each of us needs this morning, would you whisper it in the quietness of our hearts this morning on Easter? My friends, my brothers and sisters, on this resurrection morning, may you know the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord's lifting up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord's lifting up his countenance to you and giving you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said with resurrection in their voices, amen, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Love you. online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at awaken Community. See you next time.